Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. We're coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Uh, this is going to be a deluxe edition of Longhorn Blitz. We have hit a few snags in the recording process, just to give you guys not to get too inside baseball, but we've hit a few snags in the recording process due to some COVID restrictions at the studio we normally use. So, as a holiday gift, a late Christmas, early New Year's gift to everybody out there, we're going live on YouTube right now, and uh, you will get a deluxe edition of Longhorn Blitz as we recap another bowl win. Guys, Tom, as as uh, Rod Babers, our colleague Bucky Godbolt has taken to call him Tom Bowl Herman Tom shows Bo. up again. Uh, Texas Texas gets a fifty five twenty three win over Colorado Longhorns. Now four zero in bowl games under Tom Herman. What does it mean? What does it not mean? We're talking about the quarterback position and not necessarily Sam Ellinger. We will break all of that down here on this week's edition of the show. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst. On Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru, he is Matt Butler. Matt, what are you what are you doing there in the uh, the friendly confines of the studio? I see I see hands and fingers working. Yes, uh, I'm actually tweeting out the info so our peeps can watch it if they want. But in here, just in case things go quite awry, they they allow one person in the building, so I'm here holding it down for the rest of us. Matt is uh, in the studio. I'm in my home office and uh, in his dwelling with his lovely fiance and his dogs. I'm sure uh, he is a renaissance man. And he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B, welcome. Thanks, Thanks for the intro, brother, as always. I appreciate it. Sorry I can't. I don't know. I bought this expensive iPad for my <laughs> for my woman for her birthday, and uh, now I can't even get the damn camera to work. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Steve Jobs. Dude, Love this you. looks it's, awesome. It's, uh, it, it's all good. It's all good, Rod. I'm just glad that we're all here. It's been a while since we've had a show, uh, so – you know, I'll be honest with everybody. We didn't really want to do a ton of preview for Colorado, and I think on Tuesday night we all kind of saw why. Uh, so we're, <laughs> we're gonna go. We're gonna go aftermath of the game, and then kind of spinning this forward into 2021. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope everybody has had a safe, happy, healthy holiday season. Guys, I'll start with this. We've been here before. We've been yes. here before covering a bowl win under Tom Herman, and. It's interesting. With each bowl win, it seems like we treat it with less legitimacy as we go on. Like, I think we were all kind of excited about the prospect of 
the offense changing in another year under Tom Herman and where the program was headed, how recruiting was on an uptick after the uh, the Texas Bowl. We all bought it after the Sugar Bowl hook, line, and sinker. And then last year, I don't know, guys, it was kind of an empty feeling. It was kind of the way a lot of Longhorn fans that have jumped on the, the Tom Herman's not going to be the guy bandwagon are this year where I don't want to say they don't care, but they're realizing it doesn't have a lot of meaning. And, Rod, I want to start with you because you have a perfect analogy, and I love it, for Tom Herman and bowl season that I think paints a really accurate picture <laughs> of, of how if you're a Texas fan and you're not sure how to feel about this bowl win, you paint a great picture on how exactly you should look at it. Yeah, my analogy is personal to me. I once tried out for The Bachelor and failed miserably. <laughs> I want to be the first black bachelor. That didn't work out. Uh, they did invite me back to be one of the men on The Bachelorette, and, you know, long story short, I didn't do it because my now fiance did, wasn't cool with it. We had just started dating and I was going to, you know, try to be a reality <laughs> TV star. I know I would have killed it and won the competition, but I digress. Different conversation. So, but the fascinating thing about those shows, there's been um, basically 41 Bachelor couples, seasons, whatever. Right. Dang. And <laughs> there are only seven of those couples that are still together. That's a bachelor <laughs> and the bachelorette combined. Seven of them are still together. And what happens is, you know, it's it's easy for anybody to fall in love when they plow you full of alcohol. Right. They take you to some exotic location, some paradise mm-hmm. You're surrounded by all these beautiful people who are competing for your love. Uh, you don't have your significant other there. No work, no stress. Um, so and so people fall in love and they fall in love really easily but when they get back to the real world and everybody here knows this right you get back to the real world man a relationship is about the stress of everyday work uh the mortgage you gotta pay the bills you gotta pay the little idiosyncrasies of somebody's personality these people live in different cities and don't even consider it they get back to be like oh you live in memphis oh yeah i live in boston it's like oh what the hell you never thought about that when you thought you were gonna live the rest of your life together and you gotta move and quit your job and so they have this their version of love becomes a perversion of love and when they get back to the real world it shatters and for all these couples and most of them anyway, their dream of love is shut because they mistake real, they mistake sex for real intimacy. Um, they, yeah. res- they, they, they mistake, you know, infatuation for communication. Um, and they basically mistake lust for love. And we've all done that before, but we all know real intimacy. Yes. And romance can be beach beaches and sunsets and brunch on the beach, but it also can be toenails and back hair and nose hair. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's real, real intimacy. Yep. And I don't think those people are ready for that. And the analogy is for Tom Herman. Yes. At a bowl game when you got 30 days to prepare and you had a hotel or exotic location, of course, COVID made a little different this year, but when your family's around, there's no pressure. It's an exhibition game. If you win it, great. If you don't, that's no real pressure. These teams don't know you week to week like Gary Patterson knows you, how Lincoln Riley knows you, how Matt Campbell knows you. He's played you three, four times. He knows you really, really well. Mm -hmm. That's true intimacy. And Tom Herman, you know, that's that's not what his football is. That's not real football. The bowl games, that's not the real day to day grind and solving problems, having six days to prepare. That's not real. So to me, it's fake news. It's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. We've been here now. That we've been had, we've been we've been took, we've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. This is what he does. This is what he does. <laughs> yes, and it's like by the fourth time you sort of get where you're going. That it is sort of like that honeymoon phase. It isn't necessarily what you're going to be dealing with when it's that grind of every week football. 
You know, uh, I'll say this. I texted you guys this during the game. I said this maybe a little too loud in the press box uh, Tuesday night. <sighs> Carl Durrell, and I, I know Colorado was down. I think they only had like 49 scholarship guys for that game. But their roster ride couldn't have been that much more impressive at full strength. And for Carl Durrell to win four games with that roster either tells me he did <laughs> one hell of a job. <laughs> Which he probably did. I'm not. I'm not doubting Carl Durrell. I mean, you look at Carl Durrell's background. He's a. He's a. He's a damn good ball. Coach. He's a ball coach. Yeah. Uh, but that also tells you about the quality of the Pac-12. But guys, that was exactly. Not, and Rod, I think I don't know if it was. We talked before the game because we've got you know daily shows to do. I don't know if we were trying to like talk up Colorado or maybe try to get people interested in the game. That Colorado team was not that good. And Sam Neuer, if you're a member of Sam Neuer's family, I apologize if you're listening to this show. For what I'm about they to say, they aren't listening after that beating. I, I've been covering, <laughs> I've been covering Texas on a daily basis on a team beat since two since the two for the 2012 season until now. Sam Norris is one of the worst starting quarterbacks I've ever seen. I don't <laughs> recall. I mean, maybe a couple of those North Texas quarterbacks. There might have been one of those Kansas quarterbacks in there. Maybe like a Montel Cozart or somebody like that. That was one of the worst Power 5 quarterback performances or FBS quarterback performances I've ever seen with my own eyes. And, Rod, I want to start there and start with the defense because we'll circle back to Tom Herman because I have nothing to add to what Rod just said. Rod laid it out perfectly. But we'll start with the defense. And, Rod, when I look at the defense, I look at the good and I look at the bad. Let's start with the bad because that's kind of going to lead us into some 2021 discussion. There were chances Colorado had to make plays in a passing game. And no matter what we talked about the front, and I definitely want to get to the defensive front with the defensive line of linebackers. But until Chris Ash and Jay Valai get that corner situation where they need it, and in a year where you're not going to have Joseph Osai, you're probably going to need to rely on blitzing and, and dialing up pressures a little bit more than you did this year. Man, until you get that cornerback position fixed, this defense isn't going to be able to take that next step. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? I mean, I, I did, I, I broke down the numbers and, you know, when you target the Texas corners, they allow an explosive pass play or um, a penalty or they commit a penalty or a pass interference call. Um, It's every 4.6 targets right around there. I mean, it might be different now. That was before the game. It might be different now. And actually, they actually committed some penalties in that game. (laughs) And if Sam Neuer was a better quarterback, they probably complete two of those deep balls. And it may be a more competitive game for a little bit longer. But they, the problem is not that they give up plays. Everybody gives up plays. It's the new era of football. Go look at the SEC now, <laughs> right? Everybody's giving up plays. We got first our first team, um, you know, Big Twelve corners who got torched. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the reality of it. But they were able to make plays on the ball. My problem with our, with the cornerbacks at Texas, they don't make any plays on the ball. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you gonna get beat? Okay, you're 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 human, man. You're a corner, but. When are you going to make a play on the ball? Go make a play. And they only make a play on the ball every 13-something targets in their direction. So the numbers are on your side to say, you know what, you should go after the Texas corners because they're not really going to make a play on the ball. There's a there's a much better chance that your receiver is going to beat them and you guys are going to make a play or they're going to commit a foolish penalty. So I'm not saying the corners are bad. Give Chris Ash credit because what Chris Ash did, he's and give Coleman Hustle credit too, as the linebackers got better as they became a strength and no longer a liability it allowed him 
him to be able to back those corners off and adjust schematically to his weakness because then he can mask. You can mask one weakness on defense as a coordinator. You early in the early in the season, guys, he couldn't mask two. He couldn't mask the linebackers and the corners. But as the linebackers got better, hell, I can I can I can fix the corner situation. I can help them out, and that's pretty that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, you can pivot your defense at that point to be around a strength and a weakness, and you bringing up those corners, it totally reminds me of like why when we're watching the NFL right now, it's like Chris Boyd was beat up at Texas. Texas fans were sitting around the last two yeah. years being like, he's getting burned all the time, but he's out there playing in the NFL because he makes plays, those type of guys like him in Holton Hill, that at the times, at least you can get the volatility that in the modern, in, or the modern day of college football, especially in the Big 12, if you can get those plays back, then you can survive maybe giving up one here or there. But if you aren't, and then you're giving up those same ones or getting penalized for them, it's just something that the other team can, if they're smart and well-coached, can go and attack. Yeah, and and Rod, it's one of those deals, and you know this, having played that position at an elite level, at this level, you know, there were a couple of good plays made in that game. Deshaun Jameson had a PBU in the end zone. Josh Thompson on that deep ball made about as good of a play defending a deep ball as I've seen a Texas corner make all year. But those plays shouldn't be so few and far between that a guy just breaking breaking up a deep ball and being in position to do it, it shouldn't like leave your jaw on the floor. It should happen with more regularity to where those things aren't, don't they don't seem like anomalies. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It's my problem, like I said, with the corners is not necessarily that they get beat. You're going to get beat. I would like to see them change up their approach, their leverage, and even sometimes their technique based on who they're facing. And I don't see that enough, right? Sam Neuer is a limited quarterback. There's only so much <laughs> Sam Neuer can do. Um, and it's I being generous, Rod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, just yeah, he's only so much he can do. Um, so you can kind of build your your game plan and your uh, your approach um, based on that, right? He's not going to beat you with the. He did have one good throw though, on like a, a real deep out. It was like a, a, a deep comeback, if you guys remember. That's probably the best throw he had all night. But the truth is, Sam Noyer is going to underthrow everything. That that PBU by Josh Thompson. Josh Thompson was was holding the yes, whole damn. Yes, I was about to say that because he got called for the same hold a few plays later. He had the two deep balls. Yeah, the receiver was just bad at acting. Once you get held, you got to act like you're getting held. You got to get your hands up and be crazy. Oh, man, I'm being held. Yeah, he you kept know, him from that. beating him, so then he could pull the torque to get up to make the PBU. Yeah. Those corners are liabilities, guys, Pierce. So you're, you're right, Jeff. I mean, if that's and, and you know what? Give Darrell credit because that's how when they brought the safeties down, and, and Chris Ash always makes a decision, and he did it in the Oklahoma State game too when he ultimately had to decide on stopping Chuba Hubbard or stopping Tylen Wallace on the outside mm-hmm. and decided, you know what, the best thing to do is stop Chuba and then force Spencer Sanders to beat me because the chances are he's going to make a mistake. He's going to make some plays, but he's going to make some mistakes because he's he makes bad decisions with the football. Same thing in this situation. They 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 err on the side of let's stop Jared Broussard. Let's take him out of the game, and let's see if Colorado can yeah. beat us some other kind of way. And without you know, Chenault missing in the passing game, they just really couldn't do it. They couldn't find a way to formulate a consistent passing game to beat Texas and also be able to score in the red zone. So I just think it was, it was once again, a good plan by Chris Ash to make that decision. And, yeah, leave your corners out there one-on-one with their wide receivers, which weren't stellar wide receivers. Your corners could win more of those battles against those guys. And that's kind of what we, you and I talked about, Rod, going into the game is we talked about it Tuesday. You know, we had back-to-back shows on the Horn Tuesday. And 
But I, I, that was kind of my conclusion of the game. Look, I figured Texas was going to win going in. I picked Texas to win by 10. Uh, and obviously, they did a oh, surprise, surprise, Tom Harmon in bowl season ends up covering a spread and, and did it as a favorite this time, which was a change of pace. But I, I said, you know, if you look at the three losses Texas has had this year to TCU, Oklahoma, and Iowa State, what was ultimately the difference in that game? Like, there were different factors in all those games that contributed to Texas losing. But at the end of the day, what did all three of those games have in common? thing they had in common were Max Duggan, Spencer Rattler, and Brock Purdy making off-schedule plays, just making plays that were, like you said, Rod, when Chris Ash makes that decision, it's Max Duggan in the quarterback run game, or it's Spencer, Spencer Rattler, really kind of Lincoln Riley just baby-stepping him all the way through that game where he got benched in the first half. Or it's Brock Purdy having to escape the rush and just making throws where you just have to tip your cap and say, hey, that guy just made a great play. It was quarterbacks making plays that ended up beating Texas at the end of the day. And the games were Texas. You look at the close games Texas won, Alan Bowman turned the football over. Spencer Sanders turned the football over. The, the blowout against K-State because Will Howard ended up turning the football over and couldn't make plays. Jarrett Dagey couldn't make enough plays. In the red zone, and this was a deal where Sam Neuer, like you said, Rod, his limitations, they showed, and Colorado just couldn't muster enough passing play, game, plays in the passing game to make a difference. And that's part of the reason not only why Colorado lost, but the score got out of hand, which we figured if they can't do that, that's probably what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I for a while there, I thought Colorado would make a move. And they kept the game close in the first half. I mean, until yeah. the, the Casey Thompson move, <laughs> Texas doesn't blow the game wide open, even with Bijan having, once again, extraordinary performances, and we'll get to that. Yes. But we'll I, that. I, I thought I thought Carl Durrell attacked Texas, except for I thought he should have used more of what K-State did. I thought they should have used more misdirection in the backfield. I thought they probably should have put another back in the backfield with Jerry Broussard. Uh, they decided not to use, utilize some of those concepts, which I don't know why they didn't do that, especially with their running quarterback. Uh, I don't know why Calderell went to the backup and then went back to Sam Neuer. That was also a mistake that I think would have kept him in the game because I think he would have yeah. hit a couple of those deep balls, uh, maybe made some more plays early. So, But I do like the fact that he tried to attack the corners, but he knew his quarterback couldn't do it. And Sam Neuer, like you said, I mean, he's – I don't know how the hell he was second team all Pac-12. <laughs> that pack, the Pac-12, the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, man, they should be insulted. Yes, that for he, sure. I called him. I called him a low-budget Max Duggan earlier this week, and man, I guess I was insulting <laughs> Max Duggan, and I, I called him. A, I called him around. I said him and Will Howard have around the same kind of you know ceiling to me right now, and honestly, that's an insult to Will Howard. Will Howard's a much better yeah. player than Sam Neuer. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know how the hell he's second-team All-Pac-12. How did that happen? Yeah, that's the thing with these all-conference teams. And then add on, like Jeff was talking about, the weakness of the Pac-12. But, yeah, I mean, Keaton Slovis is a really good QB. I believe that's the one of the other guys that got on the all-conference team. But the Oregon quarterback, I guess it's results-based. You look at that schedule, what they do? They won all their ball games in, other than one of them. And if you're going to do that, it, a lot of people just look at it sort of like the MVP in the NBA or in all these leagues that you end up going and giving the best record and the best quarterback on that team, which really just doesn't make sense i don't want to get too far off on a you know a a college football tangent here (laughs) but to your point rod and i know they had a truncated season which that's not the fault of those individual schools that's the fault of incompetent leadership uh but the pac-12 has had a recruiting problem 
for about the last five, six years where a lot of the guys, I mean, think about how many guys Texas has been able to go get out of Southern California yeah. and Arizona and guys that guys yeah. Jake guys Smith, Bijan, they're guys that USC and Oregon and Washington wanted. And you think about just the recruiting issues that's starting to show guys like when's the last time that a Pac-12 school won a meaningful intersectional non-conference game that you can immediately think of off the top of your head? I really can't think mm-hmm. of one. Yeah, I remember I watching it. Herbert once. That's about it in recent years. So Oregon yeah. winning the Rose Bowl, but like we talked about, if, if it's a New Year's Six and, and you know, you're not in a playoff, other than to your fans or a coach getting a bonus for winning a bowl game, like yeah. what is it in the grand scheme of things? What does it really matter? So I don't know. I just think I just think that it goes back to Mariota beating Texas. <laughs> and I just think that's yeah. indicative of just kind of work. I mean, yeah. I mean, other other than that run Oregon had going from Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich before that thing fell off a cliff and, that's and they like made a coaching change. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Pac-12 hasn't had. I mean, they got in the playoff with Washington, but then Washington goes ahead with Alabama and. Literally, I totally forgot that happened, that Washington was in a playoff one year. Yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, Nick Nick Saban, like, you remember, like, everyone's talking about Jake Browning being like, oh, Jake Browning's going to be a first-round pick. Like, Nick Saban broke Jake Browning. Like, Jake Browning was not the same after that game. So, let's stick with the defense, though, guys, because, like you said, Rob, they did a pretty good job containing the run. Brendan Lewis got one. I I actually think if I'm – Carl, I saw Carl Durrell – Saw his post game quotes. He said the play of Brendan Lewis at quarterback is probably the most uplifting, positive, uh, you know, thinking a positive yeah. light Colorado has coming out of that game. And I would agree with him. Uh, but other than the one big run that he had, the Texas did a really good job containing the run. And for me, corner issues aside, Rod, we talk about all the time, and, and y'all love that you brought this term to the table a few years ago. The central nervous system of your defense, and you look at the central nervous system of this Texas defense in the bowl game. You had a true freshman starting at that three technique in Alfred Collins, a true freshman starting at middle linebacker in Jalen Ford, and a true freshman starting at safety in Jaron Thompson. And those three guys played well. And DeMarvin Overshone was the MVP. And we can get to that if you guys want. But to me, the story of this game defensively, in addition to the fact that, I don't know if you guys realize this, you realize all 11 starters from the bowl game are coming back next year. They're all due back. They've either said they're coming back or they aren't draft eligible guys. And that's not even counting like Jawan Mitchell. We saw Vernon Broughton have a sack. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Green didn't start the game with a safety transition, but I digress. The biggest thing for this for, for this Texas defense to me coming out of this game, you now, everybody has a full game sample of Alfred Collins. Mm-hmm. And you have a guy in Alfred Collins. That is the guy when you go look at Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and even Notre Dame, the, the teams that are – the Georgias of the world, the teams that are competing – for conference for big time conference championships and CFP appearances, go look at that A and M defensive line. Alfred Collins is the kind of guy that wins you championships, and we've heard him compared. Rod Tim Crowder's compared him to a young Bruce Smith, like just in terms of his size and athleticism and just the freaky ability he's got. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say he's Bruce Smith, but Rod, even guys you you played with great defenders, defensive line guys, and versatile guys like Corey Redding. We've seen guys come through this program. But, boys, I don't know that I've seen a guy that looks, that has that profile like Alfred Collins does. Yeah, his body's just so freaky, right? Mm-hmm. I think they. He's like more I of a power he, forward D tackle. Yeah, I think you need to be moving him in different shades, too, up front. I mean, I know they're starting him out inside, but his body is so freaky that 
you know, there are certain packages you probably need to have on defense where that guy's, you know, mm-hmm. playing another shade two up front. I mean, that's I think he's that freaky. Yeah, like and, J.J. Watt style almost, his size and speed Yeah, combo. I mean, I, I don't know if they, exactly. With his size yeah. and the combination of how freakishly athletic he is, there's really not a defensive line position he can't play. I know it's just because he's mad. Yeah. He's like, just put him in there at D-tackle. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's so long, too, and rangy. I, honestly, I, I, I would move him all around. He's a prodigy, just like Bajon Robinson. And for prodigies, you put more on their plate. I would put more on his plate as a reason we accelerate uh, kids in grades, right? They skip two or three grades if they're a prodigy. He's that kind of guy. That play he made, that interception, I mean, that's going to be I, – I can hear the – the draft music in the background, you know, I can see that play. You can hear Meryl Kuyper and <laughs> Todd McShay, and they're going to be talking about how athletic he is and his awareness and football IQ that he was able to make that play in real time. Everything's moving slow for him at this point. I mean, that's when the game slows down for you can make a play like that. So, yeah, hey, he's a freak. I mean, there's no way around it. I agree with you. The central nervous system of the defense looks pretty strong right now, especially if you include DeMarvion Overshone just as a, mm-hmm. as a linebacker because you just have two linebackers these days anyway. Uh, your safeties are young, and you got a lot of talent. You're deep at safety too. So I'm with you. That defensive line, it's amazing how deep they are, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we we may have understated how deep they were, and we talked about them that being the deepest position on the team. It's deeper than I thought. Yeah, yeah. that's without having yeah. a guy like Graham or having no Osai up front, and then you still have enough to go too deep across the board. And I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that, Matt. You didn't even really have Tavondre Sweat, but for, what, a quarter and a half? True. I mean, Coburn ends up playing a lot. Vernon Broughton got a lot of run. Think about uh, that combo yeah. right there, just Broughton. I mean, not Broughton. You have Coburn, that body type, and then you have Alfred Collins. Like, there's no yeah. other real colleges that can say that. And, you know, I was trying to think of who else we saw. You know, Jacoby Jones and Mora Ojimo at that end spot. Uh, I, I thought, you know, guys, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, Reese Leto held yeah. down that jack position about as well as it, you could have asked it to. We're not going to bring the, the the explosivity, the playmaking ability that Joseph Osai brings to the table, obviously. But Reese Leto Rod probably did what, if you were Oscar Giles, you were thinking that jack position needed to do. Just don't don't be a liability. Just do your job, be solid, and everything's going to take care of itself. And, and I'll add this: <clears throat> starting a true freshman middle linebacker that was a concern to me, especially considering Colorado. All five guys they came into the year with, starting on the offensive line, yeah. started in this game. It's the first time they started that since the opener. Combine that with Jarek Broussard, I was worried, Rod, early in this game about run fits. How Texas would fit the run with Jalen Ford. The run fits from the jump were good. I mean, the only time Colorado really gutted them in the run game was some misdirection stuff and quarterback run. But when Colorado just tried to line up and run the football at Texas, they couldn't do it. Yeah, which is that's why I said I was perplexed that they tried. And maybe you're right. Maybe they were comp- overconfident because they had a lot of guys back on that offensive line. And Texas had, you know, their two best guys on the defensive front were out and Juwan Mitchell out for the first half. So maybe they thought they'd be able to run the ball right at Texas. But, man, you have to deceive Texas to run the ball against them. That's how good the defensive line is. And all the teams that did that, right, K-State. K-State had more yards per play against Texas and more yards per attempt rushing the ball. I think the actually second um, highest yards per 
play and the most yards per attempt running the ball than any team this year against Texas. They just ran yeah. it down Texas's throat, but they they didn't play. It wasn't bully ball, right? They were able to do it with deception. They lined those three backs up in the backfield. Essentially, went uh, old school triple option wing T against Texas. You deceive those linebackers. You freeze them for a half a second, right? You occupy their eyes and put them in constant conflict. This is what Lincoln Riley has done over the years. This is what TCU did with Max Duggan. He did the same thing, right? They kept running the jet sweeps against Texas and basically kind of running uh, the jet sweep with the zone read in Texas really linebackers at the time they couldn't figure it out because they were constantly frozen by the time they realized what was happening Max Duggan was already off and running that's how you run the ball against Texas so I don't know what the hell film Carterell was watching <laughs> maybe he just thought he can go up and bully Texas that is ill-advised considering how well that defensive line is played so more deception that's how you that's how you that's the one thing I think that the defense of the run defense of Texas hasn't shown me that they can conquer yet. You put a team that wants to run a lot of deception against them, they they usually have success. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, Rod. I mean, look, I feel like we're, we're going bizarre world here. Like, we saw, talked about how, how good of a ball coach Carl Durrell is, <laughs> and we've crapped on, like, four or five decisions he's made in this game since then. Uh, but you know, we, we've – Obviously, we've pointed out the flaws in in Tom Herman just on game day with some of the decisions he's made. And obviously, we've pointed out some of the flaws in, in Todd Orlando, that previous defensive scheme, uh, and some of the issues Chris Ash had early in the year. But, Rob, that's kind of a Tom Herman thing. Like, if you think about since Tom Herman got to Texas, nobody's just been able to line up and run the football at Texas. It, it's Maryland with the jet sweep. It's, it's Oklahoma with their GT counter stuff. It, it's K-State, as you said, right, going diamond formation and basically playing like triple option football. I mean, it's some kind of deception it's got in Texas, but that's one thing you can say for Tom Herman. Tom Herman wants to have a football team that plays with the physical edge to his detriment at times offensively, but defensively, I can't think of very many times, if any, where teams have just been able to say, hey, let's just line up and try to pound Texas. They haven't been able to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's I agree with you on that. And I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's going to continue to be the case going forward. Yeah. You're not going to be able yeah. to pound Texas, especially with that defensive line, linebackers coming coming of age. Um, I, I What concerns me is, I'm with you, I, I think what has been essentially kind of a, a kryptonite for Tom Herman's blueprint um, and a liability for him is that deception. And yet that's what Lincoln Riley does best. That's basically, and that's what Matt Campbell does really well with his three tight ends and 13 what really good coaches do pre-snap motions and shifts. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like, yeah, well, it's great. But all the teams in the big 12 that you got to beat, they, they do that really well. That's like little yeah. bread and butter. Well. So they don't want to run the ball and pound you. Um, that's not really, I mean, yeah, Lincoln Riley can do that if he wants to, but Lincoln Riley wants to work smarter, not harder. Tom Herman often works harder, not smarter. That's yes. why he's bringing in a new coaching staff. And that's why we've talked about that, just that locker room mentality, the aspiring meat hitter, just wanting to be involved on the football aspect, but that toughness in those things, it comes across on, say, you know, the lines of scrimmages, because we talked about a few years ago when Texas struggled there, the beginning of the Herman era, but then, like, you saw Coburn come in last year, and we could see sort of that transformation where, like, the last two years, you were pretty respectable and good, and then, like, this year, when you look at the at least the metrics via Football Outsiders, Texas is 
is an elite defensive line. They've sort of stepped up from that middle of the pack, maybe above your average power five, but not to that standard if you want to be contending for a championship. But now when you're talking about stacking talent and then you're getting the results, not only do you have a guy like Coburn, but you can be without two of your starters on the D-line or most your D-line and end up being able to have guys like Alfred Collins come in and everybody knows who they are now. So it's good to see Texas with that because if you have an elite defensive line in the Big 12, you're going to be good. I mean, we saw it last night with Oklahoma. Oklahoma just obliterated everything with Florida. Yeah. Uh, And let's talk about this real quick, guys, before we – because we definitely got to talk offense. Yeah. Uh, When you look at this defense, and and, Rod, I know you're all over it already. Matt, I know you've got the numbers, and this is going to be one of my big themes in the offseason. Can Chris Ash avoid that second-year curse where it fell off under Manny Diaz, it fell off under Vance Bedford, it fell off under Todd Orlando? Here's the difference from hmm. Chris Ash. Yeah. Matt, you just talked about it. Rod, you just talked about too, just the depth and talent Texas has on the defensive line. And when you look at what's coming back, I mean, if you get Marcus Bimage to come back, because he opted – keep in mind, like, Bimage opted out at the start of the year for COVID reasons. This coaching staff has been adamant – since day one that Joseph Osan included, Bimage might be their best pass rusher. And the fact that he got down into the mid to low 250s before he opted out, he could be one of your answers to kind of money ball it at that jack position. Jacoby Jones hasn't announced his decision yet on if he's going to take advantage of that extra year. But what we've heard of Horns 24-7, it sounds like he's leaning that direction. So if you get Jacoby Jones back, if you get Bimage back, guys, you're a grad transfer away to get some help with that jack position away from that defensive line, maybe being the strength of your entire team once again. And the thing Chris Ash has going for him too, that none of those other coordinators have, he's going to return not only both starting inside linebackers, but you look at that linebacker position from the bowl game, Rod, you know, Jawan Mitchell's coming back and Marvin Overshone's coming back off an MVP performance and his trajectory is upward. And you think about the fact that Jalen Ford got snaps and David Bender played pretty well the last two games suddenly you've got four or five competent bodies at linebacker where you can have your pretty nice little competition in spring ball where that position goes from being maybe your biggest weakness into 2020 to going into 21 where I don't want to say it's one of your biggest strengths, but it's definitely not a weakness anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. My, and I agree with everything you said. I think you're right about that. I think he'll avoid the second year slump that we've seen from, Manny Diaz from Vance Bedford and Todd Orlando. I, I think one of the other things that I'll contribute to that, because I think it was obviously more than one thing. It wasn't just the inexperience and all the starts they lost. Yes, they had a lot of young players on those teams, or at least they lost a lot of veterans, namely right up the central nervous system on those Manny right. Diaz, Vance Bedford defenses. And even Todd Orlando had to deal with that. But they don't have to play as many um affiliated related offenses and what i mean by that is when the when the big 12 was an air raid conference often you know there would be a a, a certain element of advanced bedford defense or a manny diaz defense and even todd orlando because he dealt with more air raids too when they first got to the conference um and that would be exposed right some element of their defense would be exposed by say a cliff kingsbury or a Dana Hogerson, or a Lincoln Riley, or Mike Gundy, who has become a big, a big air raid-ish guy, right? All these air raid minds in the Big 12. And when it's exposed by one guy, 
Then the other air raid cousin over there, who's really, really, you know, knowledgeable about the air raid, he goes, oh, that's how we can use it. It's the same concept. It's our wide, shallow cross or this, whatever, this concept. We, we can use that. And, and you would see, and all the time you can go kind of track it when, you know, and back for Vance Bedford, uh, even Manny Diaz, I feel really bad because they would play like seven or eight air raid <laughs> coaches. Yes. Yeah. Like it's a lot different throw. of a Big 12. There's a lot, exactly, um, and and oftentimes it'd be one it'd be one element of his defense that would be exposed in the air raid kind of in, in that air raid coaching tree, and then the rest of those air raid coaches. Not that they're talking to one another, but on the field they watch film the same. They're all from the same coaching tree, mm-hmm. right? They're all leech ish, so they watch exactly how to attack those defenses. So that's why it would unravel so quickly. You go, man, why did we got go from being the next head coach at Texas or him getting? Um, you know, him getting a, a guaranteed bonus or an extension to him, he needs to be fired within two or three years. And that's why it happened so quickly, not only because of inexperience at specific positions, but also because, man, all of those coaches, when it was when it was Art Browse and Cliff Kingsbury, Lincoln Riley and Daner Holgerson yep. and Mike Gundy, when all that was in the Big 12 at one time. Man, if you didn't, and who has who has figured out the air raid, right? Who has figured it out anyway? Nobody has. No, when I have no. to face it week after week, instead of you getting more effective at defending it, you actually get less effective at defending it. We found that out in the Big Twelve. Yeah. So I think that also is an element that is going to help Chris Ash because he doesn't have to deal with that. They're 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 hybrid spread offenses, but they're not air raid offenses necessarily. Well, and look what the air raid did to end those guys at the time. Like, just looking at Orlando's results, I remember us going over the Texas defensive production was, like, above average to excellent in, like, the five opponents that were non-air raid, what, two seasons ago. But in the air raid games, it was literally, like, under 20%. You go and look at the mid, like you mentioned, Rod, the Manny Diaz uh, era, that was in sort of, like, the peak of the Big 12 with the air raid. Mm -hmm. And then what's happened when they go out to the ACC is, like, Phil Long go tears apart of Manny Diaz defense still it's like the air raid still has that hat code and the one issue that still lasts with Texas that even though the big 12 conference as a whole doesn't have as many air raid coaches or there the one at the top Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma you got to beat Oklahoma and they still got it so that's the one thing that it might be easier to get through the weeds but still at the top you may end up running into that same issue Yep. You know, you've got you've got Lincoln Riley, and then I think I think Texas Tech is probably going to go back to more area. You know, hiring Sonny Cumbie away from TCU. I think that's kind of where Matt yep. Wells wants to go with the offense, be more of an air raid offense, because quite frankly, it's going to fit his personnel better. I mean, he's still got a lot of Cliff Kingsbury yes. personnel. So come on, Tech! Like seriously, all. they've fired away Leach and Kingsbury and hired a Tuberville and the other guy until now. It's like this. <laughs> it's very simple. Stick with what y'all do. Seriously. Yeah. And now, now you've got, uh, I guess, Matt Cumbie. Wells trying to, you know, dance with the devil, I guess, and bringing an air raid guy in Sonny Cumbie. We'll see where that goes. I love it, but uh, you know, good discussion on defense, boys. Let's go to offense. And Rod, help me understand this because it doesn't. People have asked me to for answers on this, and I have none. <laughs> Bijan Robinson starts out this game just shot out of a cannon. And by I think it's the 528 mark of the first quarter when he gets his I think that was his second touchdown of a game. Yeah. He's got, I think, five touches for like 91 yards from scrimmage or something like that. Just like the previous two games. Yeah. That's the 528 mark of the first quarter. He gets one touch the rest of the first half. 
And if you, I think the maddening thing in the first half, to put that into perspective, Texas had eight possessions in the first half. If you don't count like the one play drive right before the half where it's a Roshan Johnson running on the locker room. Eight first half possessions. The two possessions where Bijan Robinson plays and gets touches, Texas scores touchdowns on both those drives. They get 14 points. The other six drives where Bijan Robinson either doesn't play or doesn't get a touch, they get three points. <laughs> I charted it all right here while y'all were talking the last two games. It's been a pattern with this team. Wow. Tom Herman, Tom Herman has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. I understand that. But I can add, I can do simple math. Yes. And it is coach it is coaching malpractice to not put the ball in B. John Robinson's hands as many times as possible. Rod B, help me please make sense of this because I have no answers for the people other than this is just what Tom Herman wants to do. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to try to justify it. I've tried to figure it out, and I understand that there is an element of you know, the, the durability element, right? You want to keep running backs fresh, and he's a freshman as well, so you want his body to acclimate to the next level. I get all of that. But the normal rules and the normal uh, thought process for dealing with a freshman running back does not apply to Bijan Robinson. I'm not saying run him into the ground. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, and I'll say, I'll say it like this. I think this is a better way to put it. The mismanagement of Bijan Robinson this season cost Tom Herman a chance to play in a Big 12 title game. Agreed. And how, how can I say that? How can I just, how can I make that leap? I can make that leap because in the last four games, he's averaging 11 yards per carry. The last two games, it's like 16 yards after contact. Yeah, I can make exactly. I can make that leap because he's averaging 11 yards per carry the last four games. I can make that leap because over the course of the season, he's averaging eight over eight yards per carry. I can make that leap because he's almost on the season, averaging almost six yards per carry after contact. He is generationally good. Like we're talking about a guy that may have a statue on the 40 acres one day. That's how good he is. And if you had found a way to maximize, utilize, and weaponize that guy versus Iowa State, depending on how how, how slim the margins were, because we know you you had one score games and all your uh, your games come down to the last drive anyway, you win the game. Yes, he's that good. He's that good. He can tip the scales for you. We know that now. He's that good. All you had to do was give him two or three. More carries, because he's really that good. And Two or three more carries with Bajan Robinson averaging 11 yards per carry the last four weeks, eight yards per carry all the season. Would it make a difference? You could have won. You could have won the game. If you you could have won the game. You could have won that game. That's that's why. And you know what? Oklahoma, too. If you yep. managed him right for Oklahoma, yeah. he's that good. He, in, in a three-overtime game that was that close, he would have tipped the scales for you. He's that good. So, Tom Herman, you are on the hot seat because it's your fault. You mismanaged probably the best freshman running back or best freshman player potentially in the country. And that Texas maybe has ever had. You are on your way out at one time. See ya, wouldn't want to be. And it's spot on right there because when you look at, like you brought up specifically the Iowa State game, and we it's something that we were talking about right after that podcast or after that game on the podcast. But when you chart it out and look at the drives in that first half, because you remember he came just firing out of the gate. It was like 100 yards in those first three drives. You go and look at the entire first half, it was three drives for where it's all Bijan on his drive. All 13 points that Texas gets in that first half are all off of Bijan drives. The one 
one drive where it's Roshan Johnson's drive gets zero. The one drive that they combo where Roshan gets touches, gets snaps, it's zero. So, like, when you look at that game, literally they you don't score, and then it's just like today like or this game that you saw in the Alamo Bowl, and I did it again for the K-State game because the K-State game, <laughs> the first three drives – Three touchdowns when it's just Bijan drives, it's three. Then you go and you look at the first drive that Roshan got, you end up having touchdown or three points come off of it. Thing is, is once you get to inside K-State territory, once you got inside the 40, you never handed the ball to Roshan. I think maybe that was telling that you didn't run your running back the entire drive. You get down to it's first and 10 from the 13-yard line. No running back carries on that drive. You have to settle for a field goal instead of your three touchdown drives with Bijan. Then you end up having, finally, it's by the fifth drive of that half, you had a three-yard drive after Texas had a turnover where Roshan gets his three-yard plunge, and that's the first one that you can find. And then you documented in the Alamo Bowl, Jeff, where it was 14 <laughs> points off the first Bijan drive. So, like, this has been a pattern in consecutive three straight games, but throughout the season, and we talked about those margins of narrow losses, and whenever you have a guy out on the field, I mean, if you look at total snaps, he had 285 snaps on the season. You're talking about he missed one game. He wasn't there because of the Scorpion play against Tech. So with that TCU game, that's a little bit different of a situation, and it's bummer he wasn't available there. You can't criticize Herman for that one. But when your fatal flaw may come down to, like, well, what did you do when you were at Texas? It's like, well, really elevated that roster. I got them to the point that we have talent that we haven't seen. We perform well. We actually, I would say, are above average, doing all the things that you were hired to do, except for your fatal flaw. You just aren't letting your best player play out there on the field. And when you look at it across the board, we talked about it at wide receiver for years about the platooning aspect or just being able to go out there. And still talking about it. Exactly. And you see it still here. And, but I really see that Tom Herman sees a lot of himself in the Roshans, in the Kai Moneys, in being that hardworking guy that – puts it all in Monday through Sun or Friday at practice and earns the ability to get some snaps. But then whenever it comes to Saturday and those snaps are the drives that you don't get points on yet every single time he is on the field, he's getting the points. That is so simplistic when every fan can look at it and be like, well, just play your best player, and that's like your all fatal flaw, and that's like that's all you got to do. Like it's it, it isn't that simple, but it basically has become that simple. I mean, we're talking about this, guys. We're talking about this in year one, whether it was like Chris Warren or Armani Foreman. It's yep. just we've been we've been down this road with Tom Herman for four years now. Rod, I've got a theory, and, and on this show, I'm kind of it's a dangerous place to go trying to get inside Tom Herman's head. And I, I've had some <laughs> theories, uh, like last year, you know, like with the bland game plan against LSU, and we're like, oh yeah, that theory makes sense. And we realized, no, that at the end of the day, that was just what the offense was. <laughs> but so here's theory. so here's my theory on Tom Herman and Bijan Robinson. Tom Herman talks a lot about when he was the OC at Ohio State how they managed Zeke Elliott. Okay, but <laughs> the part he leaves out is Zeke Elliott's true freshman year. Carlos Hyde was like an 1800 yard back. Yes, and I've heard Urban Meyer talk about this uh, in his career. Like Urban Meyer, like Urban Meyer has the offensive call sheet no matter who his OC has been, whether it's been Tom Herman or Dan Mullen or uh, Ryan Day or whoever, he's got the call sheet. And whether he's been to Florida, Ohio State, he's got a list of guys 
on the call sheet, whether it be Percy Harvin, Jeff Demps, uh, you know, Aaron Hernandez, you know, I, I know that name is unsavory, but I'm just trying to think of the top of my head or, or Zeke Elliott, Curtis Samuels, like Paris Campbell, whoever it is. And he makes a tick mark every time that guy touches the ball. And if it gets to a point in the game and he looks and he only had seals, only sees one tick mark next to Percy Harvin's name, for example, he gets in a, on the headset and tells Dan Mullen, hey, Percy Harvin needs a touch here. Got to get him the ball. Gervin Meyer knows his best players need the ball. Hmm. But Tom Herman as a head coach, Rod, this is my theory. He's never had a bell cow running back. You look at his time, his two years at Houston, his time at Texas. He's always done it by committee. Yeah. Never had Tom Herman. You realize this Tom Herman's yet to coach a thousand yard rusher from a running back position. Yeah. In his, in his time as a head coach. Because they're always doing it by committee. And to an extent, it's worked out. So I think, Rod, the, the prospect of recruiting B. John Robinson, you had to go do it. You needed an elite running back. But now that you've got him, my theory is I don't know that Tom Herman, and this kind of ties in that to what you kind of said, to Tom Herman's conventional thinking. And, Rod, to what you said about when you've got a prodigy, conventional thinking goes out the window. I don't think he knows yet how to handle having a bell cow blue chip guy that where, okay, damn the logic, damn whatever you thought. This guy needs the football period, point blank, end of story. Yeah, we yeah, talked about I, that. Yeah, that, you know what? That theory makes a lot of sense, too. But if that is the case, then Texas needs to find another football coach. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> that's what we talked about me, a few weeks ago whenever we were like, well, does Tom Herman, he, he was never able to get, you know, he got Ed Oliver, but like to get the five stars when he was at Houston on his way up coaching, it wasn't as if he ever was able to use that or like when you're saying when Zeke was that, you had Hyde ahead of him. So it's just when he lands at Texas, well, now you're getting pieces that you didn't have at Houston, and now you got to figure out that you need to adapt to the elite talent, which sounds pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ohio State, the you Ohio State guys, that's, football coach. Yeah, that's that's Urban Meyer telling Tom Herman, "Hey, Zeke, Zeke needs about three touches on this drive. Make it happen." Or Carlos Hyde needs needs to start. We need to start to drive a pound of Carlos Hyde. Make it happen. Uh, but now that Tom Herman's got that call, that decision to make, Rod, like you said, I mean, I don't. We're not saying anything that anybody who watches Texas play can't tell just with the eye test. I mean, B. John Robinson is your best player. You, you, you guys realize B. John Robinson broke two two records this year I never thought would be broken. Yards just in the care. modern era of college football, the fact that you're no longer – nobody's running the wishbone anymore. It's not three yards in the cloud of dust. B. John Robinson broke the school record for single-game yards per carry in that case. That game, 19.1. That record had, had stood at Texas since 1945. Rod, I don't know what kind of offense you're running in 1945. You're going like a well, single wing, probably? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. The other yeah. record he broke, like one of the historic seasons people talk about when you talk about Texas running back, the season James Saxton had in 1961, where I think he finished third or fourth in the Heisman voting that year and was an injury and a, and a loss to TCU away from Daryl Royal winning his first national championship that year. James Saxton ran for 7.9 yards per carry that wow. year. Wow. And I thought that record would never be broken. Bijan broke it, eight point two for the year. He's got the record now. Yeah, unbelievable. Because a lot of the times those records go to like wow. say quarterbacks. Like I know we always talk about how Jamal Charles was able to leave the NFL as the all-time leading yards per rush leader if you have more than eight hundred carries. And thing is, is when you look at running backs, because your Michael Vicks and your quarterbacks can average something crazy like seven yards or whatever. And when it's it's like he even broke Vince Young's records in those. Like it's crazy to think that a running back did this. 
Yeah, think about, think about this. Vince Young, Vince Young's bet. Vince Young's true. Vince Young's redshirt freshman year, he was at seven seven point seven point three per carry, seven point mm-hmm. three or seven point yeah. four. Jamal Charles was at seven point four in two thousand five. Vince Young's at eight point two. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this to put it in perspective: <laughs> the year, the year Deontay Foreman. Think about how many explosive runs Deontay Foreman had in sixteen. The year he won the Doak Walker Award. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what Deontay Foreman's yards per carry was that year. 6.3. Bijan's almost two yards per carry better than Christ. Deontay Foreman was the year he won the Dope Walker Award. So this it's means crazy. now he could break Ricky Williams's for a career because I remember I think for a career it was like 6.28 or something like that. I'll look it up to confirm. But, I mean, <laughs> Bijan, you average five per carry the next two years and you're going to be setting the all-time career record. Yeah, it's... Yeah. He's, he's, I'm just saying. So all this being said, right? And he, I think, I think he's averaging almost nine yards per touch actually on the season too, just yeah. per touch. And this is why Urban Meyer had that, you know, that that little tally, right? He wants to know because all it takes for your special players, the, you know, Alabama's got like three of them right now, right? You just need those guys to touch the football. They got to touch it. Like they yeah, got to get yeah. so many touches per quarter. They got to get so many touches, you know, per three or four series because those guys are game changers. Certain guys, certain guys move the chains, certain guys change the game. And I love Rojo, but Rojo just moves the chains and great. He's awesome. But Bijan Robinson changes the game. And for Tom Herman, it take too long to recognize that or to know that and decide that his way is still going to be better. To me, yeah, that's just that's that's stubborn, man. He's stubborn. He's had, he hasn't yeah. he has not learned his lesson, and that's that's troubling because that guy. This is why, and this is why. I, before the season started, I remember saying the strength of this team is going to be the backfield. So you need mm-hmm. to build the offense around the backfield. You need to change your pro spread to build it from the inside out, right? The backfield, the H. That's where it needs to start. And I said, I even want to see them run two tailback formations. Yep. Right? I know Mike Yersich can do it because when they played Texas in 2018, when they played Oklahoma State, when he was the offensive coordinator, they ran 24% of their offensive plays had two tailbacks in the backfield. Yep. And in this game, I finally saw it. Thank God. I saw them use Jordan Whittington yep. in the backfield and the H. They did it three times and they ran plays three. They actually did it four and they motioned out of it one time and went to a trips yes. formation. They did to it four the left times. Side. But then I they, remember. Three times they actually ran the ball. So they averaged 25 yards per rush on their three <laughs> plays. I went back and tracked it because I was very curious <laughs> to see how often it's happened all season long. So, guys, I counted 12 times all season long with Texas used. 21 personnel, but we are tailback in the backfield. So two tailbacks, not you know, Reese Latow or um, you know, Kate Wiley. Brewer in the backfield, something like that. And, t- and six of those were kneel downs in UTEP, in the Baylor game, and oh, it was another game where we actually had a kneel yeah, down. Yeah, victory formation. Exactly. K-State probably. Yeah. Um, something like that. So um, and, and so the other six plays, two of them were incompletions, but they had four run plays. And out of those four run plays, Texas averages 20 yards per rush. Now, they did have a 66-yarder in there, that one run by Bijan Robinson to start the second half when Casey Thompson hands him off the ball in the third quarter. Uh, and they, they had that formation with Jordan Winks in the backfield. If you take away that 66-yard run, they're still averaging five yards, over five yards per carry. 
with two tailbacks in the backfield. And it's not to just say, oh, we should just run two tailbacks for the hell of it. No, no. You do need to diversify your running game because it's mundane, it's boring, and predictable. But also to maximize your deepest position. Yes. You have to bring in Jonathan Brooks, who's another really great tailback. And now start putting two of those guys out there at the same time. They can handle it. Or put Jordan Whittington, a true what you call a hybrid, in the backfield to actually prove he's a hybrid. Do it more. It will work. I promise yeah. you. We were yelling yeah. about it before the LSU game, thinking that it was going to be Jake Smith or Whittington. And, I mean, it's been two years, and you just counted out. We finally got above, like, ten digits. And your fingers you used to be able to count those many snaps. And, like, when you talked about I couldn't – when I saw Whittington back there, I got all excited. I started yelling. It was like, hey, they may actually – and then you bust a big run. And I just wrote – tallied it up in case uh, the fans – they probably saw it on Twitter. But Bijan's touches the last two games being 12 for 223 and three touchdowns 12 for 220 in three touchdowns that's 18.6 and 18.3 per touch and that's a touchdown every four touches so i mean you're talking about (laughs) 12 touches and he had three tds in each game yeah no he lost tom Herman lost to oklahoma and iowa state because he didn't feature Bijan robinson enough i I really can just say i i feel confident making that leap Agreed fully. Here's here's one more freaky Bijan Robinson stat. Uh, and Rod, you brought this one to my attention. And I think this is just a further indictment. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show. Um, so I'll try to make this quick. But Rod, you brought this one to my attention. And uh, it's it's a further indictment on Tom Herman. Uh, Bijan Robinson against K State, 223 yards from scrimmage on 12 touches. He had 220 from scrimmage on 12 touches against Colorado in the bowl game. He's the only FBS running back in the last 25 years to have two games with 200 yards or more from scrimmage on 12 or fewer touches in his entire career. <laughs> he did it back-to-back. And he, and, he, and he did it in back-to-back <laughs> games. It's absurd. I mean, right. The, fact, the, the fact that he did it once, wouldn't that lend you to believe that this guy needs more than 12 touches the next game? Yes. Oh, man. Okay, and then here's and another I one. I mind him getting 12 touches in those other games. My thing was, know what games matter, Tom Harmon. This goes back to what games matter. You should have known early on, okay, I got something special. I'm not going to unveil this dude until I really need him. You're going to see. You, I, I wouldn't have minded if he gave him the, the same amount of touches in every game except for Iowa State and Oklahoma. Yeah. In those two games, his touches should have shot through the roof. And he'd be like, man, Texas is really featuring Bijan. But you didn't because you don't know what games matter and you're not a big-time football coach just yet. Because if you were – You'd have identified that guy a long time ago, and you'd have said to him, okay, I'm saving him for Iowa State and Oklahoma. I'm going to have plays to feature him and have him ready to go. I, you should, that two, that that Jordan Whittington 21 personnel package, that should have been brought up versus Iowa State. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? You what are you doing yeah. it for in a freaking bowl game? Remember, they did the same thing in the 2018, the Georgia, right? Uh, no, no, it was in the Big 12 title game. We had been pleading for them to move yes. Colin Johnson around. They Bunch. come out at the Big 12 title game, first drive, and what do they do? Diamond. They put Colin Johnson in the slot, they flex him, they put little Jordan Humphrey in the backfield and break off big plays after big play early on and almost shock Oklahoma early on. And they did the same thing versus Utah. He brought out the snug package. Snug is a bunch formation. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> They've been running it for 40 years. Like, run a bunch formation to help your receivers out. Oh, we run the snug. And he breaks out these things in games that don't matter. Break it out in the games that matter. What the hell is going on out there? Vince Lombardi once said. <laughs> to your point, Rod, offensively, 
there's a lot of stuff in this game, some stuff we haven't seen since the UTEP game. And the one play that comes to mind, there was a drive, it was the, the field goal drive in the first half where they show screen action to the outside and Sam kind of pumps that way and then gets Cade Brewer open down the seam. That was the play they scored on in the UTEP game. I think it was like the yep. sec, second or third touchdown. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've I don't know if we've seen that play since the UTEP game. <laughs> Where's it been? And while Where's we're while we're on the two the... times I remember seeing it, it worked. Yep, hundred yep. percent. I felt the same way about I felt the same way about the big play to Keontae Ingram, the pass play on that potential game winning drive against TCU. The, remember the pass play uh-huh. when it basically like a flood route where they motion yeah. to that side and they have all these different layouts. Like, where I want to run that play more. Run that play more with Bajan. I want that. But, but I'm just saying, I, I'm with you. I see these plays sparingly, and I wonder if yours is just now is getting total control or getting more autonomy, and he's being held back or was being held back by Tom Herman. That's what I wonder. That's what I wonder. That's all. And I want to add on this. The other thing that sticks out too, sorry, man, is, is, you know, Rod, we we talked about early in the year, they were killing people with mesh concepts. Uh And then in the Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma game, they were running that, that kind of fake mesh and turning it into a whip route. And I saw, I saw Jordan Whittington catch a ball on a mesh route early in that game. And I'm thinking, I can't remember the last time I saw a a Texas wide receiver, maybe Brennan Eagles in the West Virginia game. Have I seen somebody break open on a mesh concept? Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know why this offensive staff, and I, and the frustrating thing for me is I, when people ask me, I have no, I have no reason, I have no logical answer, why they get away from stuff that works. Exactly. No, I'm just saying. Remember my empty formation stuff. Remember I kept yelling about empty. Yeah. yeah. Run more empty. Run more empty because it was literally the most, it was the most prolific formation and personnel package they were running. And by the end of the season, I'll give you the final numbers on empty formations. They because your tweet on the info was amazing 9.6 yards per play out of empty. That's insane. You're getting a full first Uh, down when you're empty, or whenever you give it to Bijan, basically. So you're basically 10 yards per play out of empty. There you go. And then, (laughs) boy, boy, so they use empty formations with Bijan Robinson on the field. You're you're cooking with you're cooking with peanut oil at that point, boys. And like you said, that Um, guy can play slot, he can play H for you. And he's done that. They started to do that late in the season. Um, let me, let me, uh, this might be the last thing we get to get to today. We won't get to the coach and stuff. Well, here, let me that, pile on this one to round out Bijan insane on his avoided yeah. tackles the last four games. Cause this is like out of this world. Good. But if you go back and look at West Virginia in that game, he had 12 rushes ended up being six avoided tackles on those 12 rushes. All right. against wow. Kansas state, nine rushes, six avoided tackles on nine attempts and then (laughs) yes and then colorado 10 attempts five avoided tackles and then we haven't even got to the receiving because if you want to add one to k-state he had three targets receiving four avoided tackles so you're talking about against k-state 12 (laughs) if you're talking about 12 so nine attempts in three targets that's 12 touches because he caught all the targets and he had 10 avoided tackles west virginia isn't that bad six on 12 and then against colorado five on 12 you're talking 50 percent. and if the one game sandwiched in between against a good tackling iowa state still avoided three tackles on 16 attempts which is an elite level crazy oh oh man um 
So this wow. is the last one I think we'll get to. I don't think we'll get to any of the coaching stuff in this podcast, and hopefully by the next time we record, uh, whatever that is, we'll keep everybody updated. We'll have maybe some more clarity on that situation. But I want to talk about quarterback. I'll just say this, and then I'll let you guys take it from here. Two things. Let me start with Sam Ellinger. And I do think my gut tells me everything we've heard on Horns 24-7 says this is probably going to be it for Sam. I don't think he's going to come back for another year. And you know, going into the year, I, I was really hopeful. And you got to understand how I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this through the lens of I've seen what this the quarterback position has been within this program in the post-Colt McCoy era. And it's been some, it's been some down, some, some, some lean years, some, some forgettable years at that position. And I'm thinking going into the year, you know, man, I'm, I'm going to be able to write at some point this year kind of the definitive Sam Ellinger story. And, and I think it's going to have a good ending. And it's almost like the Shakespearean tragedy. Like if you think about how Sam's high school career ended, he had a yeah. wrist injury and had to watch Westlake get bounced from the playoffs by Lake Travis from the sideline. And then to have this where it's, it's maybe his last game, he can go out on a high note and he's got to watch – Casey Thompson just completely ball out. Not that he wasn't probably happy for Casey Thompson, but just to know that's how it's going to end for Sam Ellinger in quite frankly, a, a meaningless bowl game. And he only plays a half and it ends with a shoulder injury. And so I'm thinking, okay, what is, what is the, out of the definitive Sam Ellinger story? And that's layered on and top of that it, home. And I think it's this. I think it's I think it's twofold. I think when you look at the big game Sam Ellinger played in and played well, the majority of the time the other quarterback, whether it was Kyler Murray or Will Greer or Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts, think about how many NFL guys I just rattled off right there. Yes. Uh, yeah. or, or or Brock Purdy. <laughs> or the Corn game Dog. Sam Ellinger, the close game Sam Ellinger played in and lost where he played well, the other guy was just a little bit better. Yeah, you even got Taylor Cornelius' career game. I think, that's, I think that's part of the, the the Sam Ellinger story. The other part of it is, whereas at one point maybe we thought Sam Ellinger was going to be the guy that you know led Texas to the promised land. Unfortunately, and Rob, this I like how you point out the Shakespearean tragedy of things. Sam Ellinger's legacy is going to be he's the guy that got Texas to the cusp of being elite and again left this program much better than he found it but for a variety of reasons some some due to mistakes he's made in games some due to no fault of his own just couldn't get texas over that hump and, and i think that's it's it's kind of just the, the sad unfortunate ending for sam ellinger because to me selfishly again looking through the lens i look at it he deserved better and i'll say this about casey thompson when you look at casey thompson you have to have two mm. separate conversations one is that was a great performance to come off the bench cold in a one possession game in a bowl game when you haven't really played all year and to do what he did couldn't have asked for more from your backup quarterback than that. Yeah. So in that one game, give Casey Thompson all the credit in the world and surpassed a lot of people's expectations. I think mm-hmm. all the three of us included. But to say that this is going to be, you know, going from all Peyton Manning to T. Martin and Casey Thompson mm-hmm. take to the next level and you're going to get all this recruiting momentum and stop because mm-hmm. we've done this before with quarterbacks. We did it at one point. People did it at one point with Tyrone Swoops. <laughs> yep. Did it at one point with David Ash. Did it at one point with Gerard Hurd. Did it at one point with Shane Bouchelle. And what did all that add up to? 
one game a career does not make for quarterbacks. It is a long – think about how long it took Sam Ellinger to get to the point where people finally started to trust him starting a football yep. game. Yes. The same thing for Colt McCoy. The same thing – it is a long process. And I'm not saying Casey Thompson can't get there. I'm just saying just give him time. If he's going to get there, let him get there and take this gradual process rather than thinking, oh, this bowl game, yeah, it's definitely going to be the start of something. Because if that's what you're doing – then you didn't learn jack squat about the quarterback position after watching this program. Yeah, since Garrett Gilbert. So, guys, what Sam, Casey, whatever you want in about the couple minutes we got left, the floor is all y'all's. I'm sorry for taking up all that time. No, you're spot on, man. I think that, you know, when you look overall at the – it goes back to a decade ago, and sort of the same thing happened with Garrett Gilbert, but we even saw it at the beginning of seasons when Gerard Hurd was a quarterback, and then you go and you see these flashes of guys earlier in their career, but they're just that. They're flashes, and, I mean, it, you look at Colorado. Yeah, they made it to this bowl, but it's because the Pac-12 sucks. You look at that Colorado defense. <laughs> I mean, the closest thing that they felt like you were going up against, it felt like the K-State game almost, like – Literally, like they're better than K State, but they aren't at the level of the average Big 12 defenses that you were facing. TCU, Oklahoma State, like Oklahoma, West Virginia, even. Like, yeah, that was basically like uh, torching a bad West Virginia defense, which is really good and it's perfect. It's exactly what you want to see in the second half of a bowl game, and it's a good way to build some confidence, but it's also irrational to expect immediate results better than your four-year veteran-type guy. Rod, uh, Rod, are you with us? Is Rod with us, or did we, did we lose Rod B? We maybe had lost Rod B there at the end. I saw his mute came off, so maybe he's back. Travis Crone, the best damn videographer from the podcast game, can talk to us. Travis, do we have Rod? I think we maybe just rounded it out. May have lost Rod. Okay, well... Um, if we get, yeah, Rod's. Yeah, he Rod's can't hear us either way. He's diligently typing. I like the chat function. Yeah, let's uh, let's see let's see if we can get Rod back because I, I want to get Rod's thoughts on the quarterback position um, as a whole to round this out. Matt, you want to text him or walk yep. him through it? We we'll apologize, folks. We're having a little technical difficulty right now for those of you watching the stream on YouTube. Mm, yeah. But no, I mean, I, you know, Matt, it's one of those deals. I, I don't even look at it as necessarily playing up or down to your competition. I, I think that's, you know, in, in case you talked about this after the game, uh, and I would encourage uh, everybody out there, if you're a subscriber to Horns 24-7, go read Chip Brown's Insider. He talked to Charles Thompson, Casey's dad, and he kind of got deep into the process of, of what Casey Thompson's been through. And Mike Yurst was talking about it earlier in the year. And that, that's that's one of the hardest jobs in sports. It's one of the easiest jobs when you look at the money some guys make, mm-hmm. but it's one of the hardest jobs, too, to be a backup quarterback, to have to prepare every week as if you're going to start, knowing that you're probably not even going to take a single snap. Yeah. Uh, and for Casey Thompson to be ready when his number's called. Uh, that's a good to, point. It shows me true. anything you said, man. Yeah, not to downplay anything you said about the level of competition, but just to come off, come off, come off the bench cold, uh, in that game, in a one possession game, your first, you 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 sandwich, uh, you you bookend your your night with touchdown passes. The 13 yarder to Josh Joshua Moore was his first touchdown, and the 73 yard bomb to Moochie Dixon was his was his last pass of the night. So, uh, yeah, it's not even about a competition thing for me. It's just about looking at 
it's about looking at what Casey Thompson did just in, in that position that he's never been in before. When, you know, you always hear about guys being one play away. Yeah. And, you okay. know, Casey Thompson for that. For, yes, Rod's back with yeah, him for that, that, one, that one play. Uh, ended up being the, the start of the second half. So uh, my filibuster is over, Rod B. Any, any thoughts on uh, Sam Ellinger, Casey Thompson, the quarterback situation as a whole uh, as we wrap this up? Yeah, man, I'll be quick because uh, sorry about that. I got some issues. Um, thanks, Steve uh, Jobs. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Texas had you know signed what twenty two quarterbacks since two thousand six, and only two of them have finished their eligibility <laughs> playing the quarterback position. That's Case McCoy and Tyrone Swoops. Sam Ellinger will be the third, or could be the third. So, and he's way better than Case McCoy and Tyrone Swoops. So he did. He took us from that quarterback hell to now. You had third world problems at quarterback back in the day, arguing about Gerard yeah. Hurd or Tyrone Swoops. They were battle of attrition. Now you tr- you have a true quarterback competition. Casey Thompson set records in the quarter that he played, so people are high on him. Hudson Card, people thought would win the starting job over Casey Thompson before they saw Casey Thompson in the Alamo Bowl, and potentially, who knows, you may get. Sam Ellinger coming back. Who knows about that? Those are first world problems now. Texas has to worry yeah. about a quarterback, and that's thanks to Sam Ellinger. Otherwise, we'd be having third world problem uh, conversations about quarterback and about Casey Thompson. I'm totally with you. I remember Garrett Gilbert too, right? He was going to be the prince that was promised. So uh, great for him. I'm happy for Casey Thompson, but slow down because a uh, quarterback position is really unpredictable. Good for Tom Herman that he stacked that quarterback room with tons of talent because he anticipates, you know, guys transferring, guys leaving, which he's had, and Texas is still in a great position at quarterback because of Tom Herman. I've been hard on him, so I'll give him props. He is a big yeah. part of why that quarterback position has turned around. He made it his top priority. Yeah, and to round it out, basically, if you look at just Casey Thompson, if he ends up becoming Sam Ellinger, that's going to be a really good career because Sam Ellinger finished as like a top five, definitely top like eight, but probably top five quarterback in the history of the school. I'm glad you said that, Matt. Let's uh, let's pick that up on, on our next show, kind of where where's because honestly, by the next time we record, we'll probably have a decision one way or the other on, on what Sam's going to do. And again, I'm thinking it's going to be not to return, but we'll see. But think about where Sam Ellinger ranks in the pantheon of Texas quarterbacks. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, buddy, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at com, where you can get Rod B on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget, you can get every episode of Longhorn Blitz by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcasts to get every episode of State of Recruiting, The Flagship, and Longhorn Blitz just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts. Don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.